down front as our children go to uh, ETC, Children's Church. Our text is found in Mark chapter 16, will uh, be in verses 1 through 8. Probably there in the heading of your scriptures are probably just two simple words, the resurrection, and that's what I've entitled this message this morning. Not only do I have to follow behind Emma, but I also had to follow behind Steve Gaines, who was preaching there. It's a tall order this morning, Micah. You ever have just a complete surprise come at you in life? Maybe um, just out of the blue something happens, you weren't expecting it to come. Maybe later in your marriage, later in life, uh, the Lord blessed you uh, with a child in, in, in an older age, and you were really surprised by that. Maybe um, a relative uh, you didn't, hadn't seen in a long time may have passed and left you a lot of money, and you were just overjoyed and surprised by that. Uh, there are good surprises. Uh, we have, we've had a surprise in our life just here in the last few weeks. As uh, um, I've prayed for, I've, I've prayed for months for Grayson to move home. Uh, I didn't mean for him to move home as a homeless man. Um, he came home with absolutely nothing. Um, I called. He called me and I said, Grayson, what do you have left? He said, I have my state championship trophy and the clothes that I'm wearing. But that was a huge surprise. But it's been, it's, it's been an adjustment for us. I heard the first argument that I've heard in over a year between my children. And I tell you, it was beautiful. I enjoyed it. Uh, I did tell them that there was, a, there was an empty room at the motel and they could take their Xbox and go over there. But, um, but the, this morning we'll talk about a surprise. The resurrection was a surprise to these people who were there this morning. Um, Everything in our lives hinges on this event in Mark chapter 16, the first eight verses here. Danny Aiken is the president of Southeast Seminary and one of the finest preachers in America. And Danny Aiken says he has a friend who is an atheist. And he asks his friend, what is the bottom line with you when it comes to Christianity? And his friend responded, that's real easy, Danny. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is my problem. He then quickly added, if the resurrection is true, then so are a number of other things. Number one, there is a God. Number two, Jesus is that God. Number three, the Bible is true. Number four, heaven and hell are real. And number five is Jesus Christ is, makes the difference whether you go to one or the other. That atheist friend of Danny Aikens is completely right on every account. Christianity stands or falls on the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If there is no resurrection, then there is no Christianity. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If Christ had not been raised, we would just as soon, we'd be just as well to be at home this morning hunting Easter eggs and letting that be the celebration of the spring equinox. But we come this morning to celebrate a risen Savior who we know in a personal way and who has changed our lives and redeemed us from hell. Look at the witness here of these eight verses in, in Mark chapter 16. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and, and Salome, uh, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. 
And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us for the, from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now Jesus Christ had been very clear in everything that he had told his disciples up until this point, up until he went to the cross. Jesus in the beginning as he began to talk to them about his death and burial and resurrection, he talked in a kind of mysterious way. But as the days went on and got closer there to the actual event, Jesus became very plain spoken about what was going to happen. He had told them emphatically that he would die, but that he would, re he would be risen from the dead on the third day. These men had heard this, but they were dull of hearing, and they didn't comprehend the importance of, of the words of Jesus. So because of this, the resurrection that had happened is unexpected to these men and these women. It took them some time to look at this marvelous fact and to give it the credit that it deserved. But here's what they needed. They had to have a clear demonstration that Jesus, who they witnessed die, was alive again and it, to convince them of the truth of the resurrection. Now, picture this. There are several godly women, and these women, it's important to note this, they were the last at the cross, and they were the first at the tomb on that wonderful Easter morning. They were the last at the cross, and they were the first at the tomb. That's, that's worth noting, because there is an importance of godly women in our world today. There is an importance of godly women who are teaching younger women how to live a godly life. There's an importance of godly women who are raising godly children, or who are raising children in, in church. And there's an importance of godly women who may have a husband who is not a believer and they don't give up on that husband and they pray continuously. There's an importance of godly women in our churches to be those prayer warriors that we need. It's important to note that it was these women who went there that, that morning there were three of these women at the cross. They, they had witnessed where Jesus had been buried. And when the Sabbath was over, these women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and, and a woman named Salome, they brought spices so they could go and anoint the body of Jesus. They knew exactly where he was buried, and this was it. This was the final act of devotion. This was the final thing that they could do to pay homage and to pay respect to Jesus, who they loved so dearly. Jesus, who they had witnessed do so many miracles. Jesus, who they had listened to his great teaching and preaching. They wanted to go and they wanted to do one final thing for him. But it's early in the morning. And they have a huge concern. They have a concern because there is a large stone that has been rolled in front of the doorway there. And these women know that they're not physically capable of moving that stone by themselves. And so they're wondering as they walk, they're wondering how this is going to, to happen. What happens? They're amazed when they get there because what had happened? The stone has been rolled away. 
the stone has been gone. That obstacle that they were looking at, they were worrying about, has been removed. Listen, have you ever had an obstacle removed in your life? Has God ever removed an obstacle in your life? Has there ever been something that you were worried about that was keeping you awake at night and you were praying over and you were constantly talking to God about and all of a sudden in your life something happened and that obstacle was moved? I'm talking to people this morning who understand what these scriptures mean. God can, can move that obstacle in your life. They enter this tomb and they see a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they are alarmed. Who is this young man sitting in, uh, in that white robe? He's an angel of God. He's an angel sent from God to be the messenger of this event that has happened. I want you to think about this young man that's described here, this angel, and think about his life and think about what he's witnessed. This angel was there when Jesus Christ himself participated in creation. When God said, let there be light, this angel was there. He got to witness creation. And now this angel who is there in the tomb has got to witness another historic event in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is there and he's not alarmed and he's not astonished because he knew when Jesus spoke everything into creation, he knew that there would come a day where he was hoping he would be the angel who would be assigned to that tomb and get to proclaim that Jesus has been resurrected. These women are alarmed. Think about this. They're their first thoughts are probably that the tomb has been ransacked by the enemies of Jesus and the body stolen and carried somewhere else. But this angel has reassuring words for them. Look at verse number 6. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. They knew. They had witnessed. They, had, they knew that Jesus had been taken to this exact tomb. And that he had been laid there. And the angel says to them, look, he's not here. He's no, longer, he's no longer dead. He is alive. Now, think about this. It's undeniable evidence. Undeniable evidence that Jesus has risen. And, and think about this. Everything in history changes here in this moment with these ladies. Everything in history changes. Because these women had gone there to anoint a dead body. They had gone there to anoint a dead body, but what does this angel tell them? There's not a dead body here anymore, and your job, you are the first witnesses of this, and your job now is to go and to tell others that he is risen and that he's alive. And our job this morning is no different. There was a change in history there at that moment, and these women got to be the first ones to, to be the witnesses. Just as we sang earlier in that first song, I ran out of that grave. And so these women are witnesses of an empty tomb. And the angel gives a very distinct message here to the disciples. Look at verse number 7. He says this. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Now notice the special designation there. He says, go to his disciples and who? Peter. Those two words, and Peter. Now, what if the angel had been antagonistic at this point? The angel could have been antagonistic and said, go tell the disciples. And on your way to go tell the disciples, run by and tell Pontius Pilate and Herod and Cephas that they may have killed Jesus, but that Jesus is alive and he's, and he's risen, and tell them that their plan couldn't work. 
The angel could have been antagonistic and said that. The angel could have been appreciative and said, could have said, go and tell the disciples and John. Because it was John, the beloved, who was there at the cross with Jesus. It was John who Jesus designated to care for Mary, the mother of Jesus. But instead, the angel shows affection. The angel shows affection. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Because here's what, our Lord Jesus knew of Peter's failure. And he also knew that Peter was broken and that he was humble at this point. He knew that Peter needed encouragement. He needed a new beginning. Peter needed a second chance. How many of us sitting here in this sanctuary this morning could say, I'm in need of a second chance. I'm in need of the gospel. I'm in need of knowing Jesus and having a second chance. Now, I'm a huge sports fan. I follow sports real close. And one of the stories that I've been following here in the last month or so, I've been real interested in the story of Johnny Manziel. Now, Johnny Manziel broke my heart one Saturday afternoon. Uh, one, one Saturday afternoon in Bryant-Denny Stadium, he threw a pass just out of nowhere, and he crushed my, my hopes that, that day. That's how shallow I am. But I've been keeping up because Johnny Manziel had, has talent that is just unbelievable what God has blessed him with. But Johnny Manziel blew his opportunity. And he has admitted in the last month or so that his lifestyle, the combination of the lifestyle that he was leading and the arrogance that he has cost him a career in the NFL. And so now he has humbled himself and he's going to the different teams in the NFL and he's humbly asking for a second chance. And I think he'll make it. I think somewhere this fall, Johnny Manziel will be a backup quarterback on somebody's NFL roster. And you know why? Because everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody deserves a second chance in life. How many people in this congregation have been given a second chance? How many people in this congregation, God has given you a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance? How many people in this congregation right now, you're in need of a second chance? You have a health issue that you need a second chance with. You have a career issue that you need a second chance with. There's a, there's a situation in your marriage that needs a second chance or situation with your children or your reputation and you need a second chance at rebuilding it. Let me tell you this this morning. God gives second chances. Look at King David in the Old Testament, the great king of Israel. The Bible says that, tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. But he committed great sin. He committed great sin and God punished him severely for that sin. But God gave King David a second chance. Look at Jonah, who we've talked about on Sunday evenings here for the, uh, in the past few weeks. Jonah, who God told specifically, go to Nineveh and preach repentance to these people. And, and Jonah said to God, I hate those people, those Assyrian people, and I'm not going to preach to them. I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to go to Tarshish. Well, guess what? Jonah finally went back to Nineveh, but he smelled like a big fish's guts when he went back. But guess what? God gave him a second chance. And I'm here to tell you this morning, now he gives Peter a second chance, and Peter's second chance will do this. It will lead him to preach the greatest evangelistic sermon of all time. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter will preach a sermon where 3,000 people will repent of their sins and be baptized. 
Because Jesus encouraged him and gave him a second chance. Have you encouraged someone this week who needs a second chance? Have you went to somebody this week that you know of who needs a second chance? Have you been an encourager to them? Are you planning to go somewhere this week and encourage somebody who needs a second chance? You can't be more like Jesus than when you're giving someone a second chance. Simon Peter knows that the empty tomb provides for him a second chance. And that empty tomb does the same for you this morning. If you repent and you believe and you decide to follow Jesus today. And then there is this. There's the evidence to us today to the modern world. Now here's what happened. And if you read the account of Matthew, you know this. That from that very morning of the resurrection until this morning today, until this morning today, people try to mock and they try to discount the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are skeptics and mockers who have different theories. One of those is a swoon theory. They say that Jesus just passed out on the cross and that they took him down from the cross and carried him somewhere and that later he was revived. And that's why people saw him. There are people who have a spirit theory. They say that what the disciples saw was Jesus' spirit, and it wasn't his physically resurrected body. But we know from the gospel accounts that Jesus made certain that they saw the nail-scarred hands and that they saw where they'd pierced his sides. He ate meals with them so that they would know that he was not a spirit, but that he was physically resurrected. There was the vision theory that these men were so enraptured and wanting Jesus to resurrect so bad that they had visions that made them believe that Jesus had been resurrected. There's the legend or myth theory that Jesus really did live, but over the course of centuries that his legend and the myth of Jesus has grown to be what we have here today. There's the stolen body theory that you'll see there in Matthew if you read the gospel account where that uh, the chief priest and, and the Romans conspire to say that the body was stolen and that that's why Jesus wasn't there. As late as the 1990s, someone came up with a theory that says that Jesus had a twin brother and that Jesus was the one who was murdered, but that he had a twin brother who the disciples saw afterwards. Well, guess what? All of these things have been going on for centuries and none of them have prevailed against the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one witnessed the actual resurrection of Jesus. The proclamation of Jesus' resurrection is based on the fact that he died, that he was buried. The tomb in which he was buried was discovered to be empty. And the disciples had experiences that convinced them that Jesus had supernaturally and bodily risen from the dead. Now there's some strong cases for Jesus' bodily resurrection that we see in Scripture. One of those is the empty tomb and the discarded clothes. If Jesus' body had been stolen, they would have been more interested in stealing the grave clothes because they could have, stole, they could have sold those grave clothes. But the, the Gospels give us an account that those clothes were still there. There is the change in the day of worship from the Sabbath to Sunday. Mark makes it clear here, and Mark is getting his account here from Simon Peter. Mark wrote the Gospel based on what Peter told him about these events. And so Mark is saying here, he makes it clear to us that these women went at the end of the Sabbath. They waited until the holy day of the Jews was over 
And they went to, to see Jesus and anoint his body. But something happened there. Over the course of the next few months, worship would change from the Jewish tradition of meeting on, Saturday, on, on the Sabbath day, and it would go to the first day of the week, which we are here this morning still celebrating uh, the risen Savior. It caused everything to change there. And then there's this. There's the birth of Jesus' disciples' faith and the radical change in their lives. Now they have a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what it does to them. It changes them from fearful cowards who abandon Jesus to men who are so bold that they go to be the boldest witnesses of the resurrected Christ that there, that there, there were. Now, church history tells us that of the 11 apostles, 10 of them, the exception being John, died as martyrs, still proclaiming Jesus as the risen Lord. Peter was sent to a cross by Roman executioners, and Peter said, I will not go to a cross the way I'm not worthy to be crucified the way that Jesus was. He, he requested to be crucified upside down. Because he had that much respect for what Jesus had done at the cross. Every one of these men who had been a part of Jesus' life had followed him. They were still proclaiming Jesus as the risen Lord. Now I want to tell you something. Some people will die for a lie if they think it's the truth. But nobody will die for what they know to be a lie. These men gave their life for what they knew to be truth. And thousands of people who followed them would also give their lives for what they knew to be true. Jesus appeared bodily to over 500 people. Simon, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us an account in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was witnessed bodily alive by over 500 people. And then there's the bold proclamation 50 days later that we talked about with Simon Peter where he preaches the great evangelistic message after the Holy Spirit has been poured out there on the 120 believers and the church swells from 120 to 3,120 that day. And then there, there is the inability of Jewish leaders and the Romans to disprove the message of the empty tomb. They try their best to stamp out Christianity. They try their best to, to persecute it to an end, but it doesn't happen. And the gospel, because of that persecution, the gospel begins to spread. And the gospel begins to go to Judea and Samaria. And it goes all the way in the, in the next 60 years. It will go to the whole known world. Listen, the inability still is there today of people to disprove and to discredit the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Evolution hasn't been able to do it. Socialism hasn't been able to do it. Jesus Christ is alive and He's well and He is sitting at the right hand of the Father this morning and He, we are no longer, we are not, we are not celebrating the life of a man who gave His life in death for us because He loved us. We're celebrating the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who went to a cross and gave His life because He knew that in three days the Holy Spirit would come and would lift Him and give Him life again and that He would be our ransom. But the greatest evidence today are changed lives today that we see. I look across this congregation and I see example after example of people whose lives have been radically changed 
by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was 24 years ago. 24 years ago, on Saturday, April 2nd, a friend of mine called me and asked me to come and to hang out with another group of friends of mine. And I went and I hung out with them, and there was a lot of sadness within my circle of friends. And we sat together that evening, and I knew, I had no idea that evening that it would be the last time that I would want to go out in, in, in that way. I can take you to the exact spot where as I, was, I had left my parents' home that evening and had gone to my friends to hang out with this group of people, and I can take you to the exact spot on, um, on the road out here next to the uh, civics, not the civic center, but the sports complex. I can take you to the exact spot where I threw out the last bottle of beer that I, that I ever bought and ever drank. I can take you to that spot. I'm sorry if you lived there and I littered. I'm not the same person. But the next morning was Sunday, April 3rd. And my mother had made it clear to me the day before that I was to be sitting. It didn't matter what time I got home. It didn't matter where I'd been or what. I was to be sitting on a pew at church that morning. And I knew that she meant it. And so I went. I went to, that, I went to church that morning. And a man stood behind a pulpit and he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. And I came under conviction in a way that I had never, I'd been under conviction before, but not in this way. And the Holy Spirit was impressing upon me the importance of me following Jesus at this point in my life. I left that church service having not made a move, having just kind of ignored what was going on. But I remember it wouldn't leave me. And I remember that afternoon, I couldn't be comfortable. I was unsettled. And I got in my car, and I began to drive around, and I, I just couldn't get away from this conviction. And it was, it was Easter Sunday, and I didn't realize that, uh, I, I didn't know uh, what I know then, that most churches don't have um, services on Easter Sunday evening. But I was thinking about, I had friends who went to churches in Anniston. I thought, I'm just gonna, I thought about going to one of those churches and just seeing if I could if I could quench this what was going on in me and I was struggling with it I thought I had a really good life and I didn't want to give that life up but but Jesus was uh, the Holy Spirit was really impressing upon me that it was time but I went to bed that night like I did every other night and and, and I settled in my mind this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be this is what I do this is who I am this is how I live I'm not going to change I'm not going to, I'm going to live this way the rest of my life, and this is who I am, and, 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 and God's just going to have to accept that. And I would use the excuse probably a lot of people have, have used with me, well, this is how you made me. And I got up that Monday, and I went to work, and I, I went through the motions at work, and, and, and still I, I couldn't get easy. I, I went home that night, and, and I watched the, Duke versus Arkansas national championship game. I can remember everything so vividly. I got up, went to work the next day. It was a Tuesday. And, and I, I was still just digging my heels in and saying, this is how I'm going to live. This is who I am. I'm not going to change. Well, I went to bed that evening. And during that day on Tuesday, I had lived horribly. I had, I had 
deep in sin. And I went to bed that night, settled in my heart. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to live. And nothing's going to change me. Well, guess what? God had other ideas. And I began to think about this. It, had, it was right after the Palm Sunday tornadoes. And my friend Mandy, Mandy Williams, Mandy Pope now, and I had rode around together and we had looked at all the devastation and all the things that had been going on and all the, all the things that had happened. And I asked Mandy, I said, Mandy, this was days before, I said, Mandy, why would God take people's lives who were sitting in church doing what they were supposed to do and leave somebody like me? And Mandy had said to me, he said, Michael, that God must have a, a purpose for that. Maybe there's a reason that he left you here. Well, he showed me that night. He crushed me, and he brought me to my knees. I, I would love to say that there was this gentle voice that spoke to me, this gentle Holy Spirit who spoke to me, who wooed me, and I came humbly to the cross, and I gave my life to Jesus that night, and that I saw the birds sing uh, prettier, and the sky was bluer. I'd love to tell you all those things, but that's not how it happened. God crushed me. God, God just... He, he divided everything in my life and, and it was as if he was saying to me this is the moment surrender your life now and I, I'll tell you this I don't have I, I don't, I, I'm not the brightest person in the world I, I would argue with, I, I would argue my point I would argue you know whether I was right or wrong I'd argue with you but I knew this I knew God was in complete control I knew God had created everything. I knew that God and I knew that He had a purpose for everything. And I knew this. I knew I couldn't win an argument with God. Have you ever tried? You lost. And that night, I finally surrendered. After all those years of running, I finally surrendered to God. And I repented of my sins. I told God that I was sorry for how I had lived. And that I didn't want to live that way anymore. I told him that I wanted to go in a different direction and be a different person. And I told him I didn't understand all of it. I knew a lot of Bible stories. I didn't know any theology. I didn't know any doctrine. I didn't know any of those things. All I knew was that this was the moment and I needed to seize that moment. And I did. And because of that, that moment there, and surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ, I had no idea what lay in store for me. I had no idea where I was headed, the direction that God would take me. I had no idea the wonderful people that He would put in my life, the wonderful friendships, the wonderful fellowship that I would have. I had no idea the opportunities that I would have to stand behind pulpits all over this area around here and lead people to Christ who had been friends with me for years and who were living the way that I was living and I had the opportunity to lead them to Christ and then see them go on into ministry and to see them lead other people to Jesus. I had no idea. I had, I had driven by this church thousands of times in my, in my life. I had no idea that one night Bree, who would be, become a Christian just a couple of weeks later, would invite me here on a Sunday evening to come because she was going to come forward for baptism. And she was going to join this church. I had no idea that when I came here that night that I would someday, that God would, would, 
alter my life and move me in such a way that someday I would stand here on this platform and declare to you that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life and that he changed my life radically and that I can't be who I was and that I don't have the desire to be who I was. And I showed up a couple of weeks later for Bree's baptism and, and she didn't show up. She and David Pasley went mud riding and got lost up on Treat Mountain for day. We had helicopters out looking for them. But she eventually, she eventually made it back and they, I told them not to go. They didn't listen to me. But she made it back and I, and I just remember God bringing us from a friendship to a relationship and bringing us together. And I remember those early days in ministry of us leaving my little apartment. I had three sermons. Mandy, Mandy and Philip Pope know those sermons by heart. They heard them every week. They went with us wherever we went. But we took those three sermons and we went and we, we began to, to, to do what God had called us to do. I say all that to say this. I know. I know personally. I know in my heart what Jesus can do for a life. I know that Jesus left that tomb. I know that Jesus rose from that grave. I know that he left that tomb. I know that he laid those old grave clothes behind and God clothed him a different way. I know what those men, I know what those men who followed Jesus, I know what they know. And I know this, that if he can change my life and he can take this life and he can make something out of it, I had no skills, I had no great education, I, had, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know a whole lot. All I knew was that God had saved me and that he had called me and I was supposed to do what I was supposed to do and I just did it. And I tell you this morning, if you're here this morning and you're listening to the sound of my voice and something is happening inside of your chest, I can identify with that moment. It's the same thing that was happening to me as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And right now what he's speaking to you and saying is, that this preacher here, in spite of his grammar and in spite of his stuttering and stammering, he's telling you the gospel truth. And, what, and the Holy Spirit is pointing you to Jesus Christ this morning, and he's saying, you have a second chance. You have an opportunity this morning on Easter Sunday morning to say, I want to repent, I want to believe, and I want to follow Jesus. And there's no greater opportunity than right here, right now, to say, I believe in the resurrection. Short and sweet and to the point. This morning, if you're here, and that is what's happening with you, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now as Micah comes and prepares us for a time of invitation, a time of worship, a time of reflection. I'm going to ask everyone here who is a believer in Jesus Christ to pray for those people who are being spoken to by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to be still in this moment, to not talk in this moment, but to pray in this moment for the salvation of souls who are standing on the brink of eternity. The resurrection is the greatest news that has ever been told in this world. The, greatest re the, the resurrection is the greatest event that happened in this world. And you can be a part of that resurrection. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is the same spirit this morning who wants to breathe new life into you. And, and you really to be born this morning.
You were born physically, but this morning, Jesus wants you to be born spiritually and eternally and to know that that eternity is secure with Him. As we stand and pray, Father, I pray for everyone in this sanctuary this morning. I pray to God for your Holy Spirit to have liberty and freedom here to speak to hearts. I pray that in spite of the large crowd of people who are here this morning, that if there is someone who needs to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would come and they would allow myself or myself or Seth to take God's Word and to show them how they can be certain that Jesus is alive. I pray for those this morning who have need, who need to make a decision about baptism or church membership. Today would be a wonderful day for any of these things. I pray this morning that the seriousness of this moment would be impressed upon hearts across this congregation and that we would know that before we leave here that we would know that Jesus has birthed new life into this congregation. And all these things we ask for your wisdom and guidance in Jesus' name. Amen.